Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Yes, it is uh, indeed time for parenting. Joanna Fortune joins us once again. Afternoon, Afternoon, Joanna. Sean. Uh, right, here's your first question. I'm a single parent since pregnancy. My seven-year-old son has never met his father, with his, which is the father's choice. And I only have minimal contact through texting as he pays maintenance. Some time ago, my son asked why he doesn't see his daddy and if he will ever meet his daddy. I explained that we agreed to go our separate ways before he was born, that we decided he would live with me and that daddy wasn't ready to be a good daddy. I tried to help him understand that it was nothing to do with him, but something in daddy's head at the time. I told him that I honestly don't know the answer to the question or if they will ever meet. He figured out that I have some contact information as I told him daddy sends money to me and make sure he has everything that he needs. He then wanted to know if I could ask his daddy about meeting up, similar to me arranging a meet-up with my friends. I didn't know what to say, as I've asked his father numerous times in the past about meeting him. There's no chance for this apparently ever happening. So I told my son that I couldn't do this, as daddy and I are no longer friends, to which he started crying. How can I respond in a truthful way that will not leave him with a feeling of being rejected? I showed him a photo of his father and I wonder now if it was a good idea or not. I only speak positively about his father and describe his positive attributes. Please help. Oh, oh God. Yeah. I mean, I'm just, first of all, I'm so sorry you and your son are struggling with this and it was something that was always going to come up in your parenting journey with your son mm. by the nature of it, but it actually isn't on you to cover for his dad and to spin this positive narrative. Um, And at the same time, absolutely what you're doing is to protect your son. I can hear that. that What you're saying about your ex-partner, the way you're putting it is, it is not to protect him, it is to protect your son. That's very clear. And I think that's really admirable and it takes a lot to do that. I also think though there's something in how you've done this that you could end up inheriting some of the responsibility that's not yours because you've said it's because you're no longer friends with him. Mm, And your son may direct some of that anger towards you. And I mean, in lots of ways that's what our kids do, even if that wasn't the case because his dad isn't there to be angry with. So you're the one who's there. So unfairly, perhaps, but understandably, you might be the one who receives a lot of the projected anger with this. I really think that, you know, sometimes we cannot protect our children from painful truths, but we can support them in healing the hurt that those truths cause. Yeah, And I know he's only seven and this is something that you will be growing as a story with him in line with his growth. So you tell him a bit when he's seven, you'll be telling him a lot more when he's 14. Mm -hmm. But don't let 14 be the first time that you're bringing this narrative to him yeah, because it's too much. And I think what you've done so far is actually you're absolutely on the right track with it. I think You sit down with them and you acknowledge that this is really hard. You acknowledge that, of course, you're curious about your dad. Of course, you would love a relationship with him and to meet him. That makes absolute sense. And you're right to want those things. But I cannot get that for you because your dad is not available to give you those things. And that's the truth. And it might yeah. be about you revisiting and saying, look, when daddy and I made you, you were a surprise for both of us. And I was so happy to get to be your mom. And I'm still so happy that I get to be your mom. But 
daddy wasn't ready to be, to be a parent. Like what you've said is he wasn't ready to be a good daddy. In truth, he, he's choosing not to be, be an active parent. Yeah. Um, and he made a choice not to be a part of our lives. And that's really hard for us to understa- understand. But we have to accept that it was the choice he made. And yes, he sends me some money to help to take care of you. And he knows that you're getting everything you need from me and our family, whoever your extended family network might be. All families look different and this is how our family looks. Mm. And I think that's what you have to keep doing. And I think you just say that I'm not able to reach out to daddy to ask that question because daddy isn't available to do those things. But it is always okay for you to ask about it. It is always okay for you to bring those questions. Even when I don't have the answers, I'm always here to listen. And I think if you open it in that way at seven, you can nurture and grow that so that he knows all through his life. He can come to you and say, well, I'm really not happy about this and I really wish it was otherwise. And you could go, yeah, I get that. But don't feel the need to come in and fix it and to cover it Mm. and to rescue him from it. But let him know that you're there to help him work his own way through those really difficult feelings. Yeah. So, so, yeah, she said, I tell him, I honestly don't know the answer to the question. I suppose that's the I truth. I think that's, uh, that is the truth. Absolutely. And I think it's OK. I think mm. as parents, we are under this pressure to always have the answers for our kids. And actually, it's really healthy for the parent-child relationship for us to go, what a great question. I don't know the answer to that. Maybe in some instances, it's something that we can discover together. We mm. can work out or uh, let me go and have a think about it and I'll come back to you. And sometimes the answer is... I don't have an answer for that one. Yeah. God. It's really I hard. Su- yeah, saying that they're not friends, I suppose he might be, a, he might kind of go to, Mammy, why don't you be friends with them? And, and exactly. And I think that's the bit where you're actually opening up now a whole door that, <laughs> yeah. you know, there, there definitely may not be an answer for that one or there may be an answer that he's is not appropriate for a seven-year-old yes, to hear. Yeah. But I do think, you know, that you, you reinforce that daddy does contribute to make sure that I can keep taking care of you because he knows that I'm doing a great job being your mom and we've got our family and this is what our family looks like. All families look different. And I do think, you know, I mean, there's no, there's always books, isn't there? But, you know, the us. Osborne book because he's seven all about families is a really nice way to Mm. introduce kids to what that looks like instead of us saying all families look different you know give them the book where it goes oh they really do all families really do look different and our family is valid exactly like it is yeah that's also a great book for names of houses and stuff oh, like great. that. Yeah. It's a great one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think they do it really well. Yeah, it is, <laughs> yeah. it is very clever. There's nothing in perhaps saying to the father, just meet him once for God's sake. Isn't, know. isn't it funny? I mean, I when you were reading this out, I was going, oh, just text him and tell him to do it. But yeah. actually, I when you read this letter, my sense is she has asked for that. Yeah, yeah. And it has, the answer is no, because there's something in here where she says, you know, it's not going to happen. Yeah. And yeah. that to me sounds like an absolute, Sean. And yeah. I think it's not fair on this mom to keep looking for something that somebody else has said, no, yeah, this is yeah. the limit to what I'm going to do. I will provide financial support and I do not want the relationship. I do not want the connection. And actually, I think rather than keep chasing it and being disappointed and holding hope for your son and being let down, we accept that right now and thus far for seven years, this father has said, I don't want to be a father. Mm, and yeah. we, it is a very hard choice to understand. It's a very hard choice to accept. But actually, it is his choice. 
and he has made that choice. So there's no point in saying, well, I'll keep chasing that for you. I think if that question has gone already to him and he has said categorically, no, he knows there is a desire for that. Mm -hmm. And if anything is to change, because look at anyone can change their mind over time. That actually let that come from dad. Yeah. You know, and your son in due course and not that long from now, your son as a teenager, as a young adult may want to initiate that contact himself. Yeah, because you would be wondering as is perfectly natural. To of wonder. course. Yeah. And to be curious about, you know, we, that's part of all of our journey, isn't it? Who mm. am I and whose am I? Yeah. Of whom am I? You know, all of those identity questions are tied up in that. They're very healthy, normal questions. And I think, you know, it, I think it can be frustrating. On, oh, for God's sake, just meet the child, just do it once. Yeah. But actually, you know, if that's not an option, we have to work with the child about managing that disappointment and mm. managing that frustration. Our little girl will be five in November and starting school in September. Uh, They are preparing them in preschool at the moment. So there's a lot of talk of school, but this is making her very upset and anxious. She has told me she doesn't want to go. She doesn't want to do homework, etc. That doesn't change. Uh, She's very bright and capable, well able to do tabletop, write her own name, recognise letters and numbers, etc. And has great concentration. But she's always been very attached to me, her mother, and very slow to go to preschool in the mornings or to leave me in any group setting. What can I do between here and September to both reassure her and prepare her? She is generally a happy, well-rounded and sociable four-year-old once she warms up uh, who attends preschool and creche. Oh, it is the season for this stuff now. You know, it really is. So it's going to begin. And you know what? She is being prepared in preschool. And yes, you have an active role, but let's not saturate her in school talk. Let her be in the now, which is enjoying preschool and what's left of her preschool experience, because that's a beautiful time for children. And it's really important that they get the fullness of that experience. The concept of school Oh, you're going to big school in September. All Mm. of that is so abstract for little kids. What is this place called school and this time called September? You know, it doesn't mean anything. I mean, for some kids, you could put up a calendar and you could do a kind of visual pictorial countdown. I don't know about this child. She Mm. might find that a bit much and a bit overwhelming. What I would do is um, if the school is local enough to you to do this, maybe go to it at a weekend or well after school pickup, you know, when there isn't like three, four hundred kids around and she can see the building and she can see the yard, even if it's peering over a gate. I'm not saying, you know, intrude on the property or anything, but you know that you can just say that's it there. That's when people say school, this is what they mean. And she can get a sense, oh, it's a building oh, there's a, you know, a fun whatever, a chalkboard or a hopscotch thing to play. And then gradually, very slowly, you know, maybe pop up around the area at pickup time. But I mean the junior infant pickup time when only that portion of the school are out rather than everyone together. Mm. So she sees, oh, there's loads of little kids and there's loads of kids playing and having fun. And you're gradually exposing her so that she can get a felt sense of what is school. Now, most yeah. schools, Sean, do a, an open day, usually around usually April, anyway, May, yeah. uh, where they invite the incoming juniors into the school. And I think that's a really helpful thing because they get to go into the classroom. They get to meet a teacher. You know, it's mm. actually a really nice thing to do. I would also say, though, because there's something in this about she's really attached to me and finds the point of separation quite difficult. To this parent, ensure you're preparing yourself as well. 
This yeah. isn't just about preparing <laughs> your little one. You know, yeah. I actually think the first day of junior infants is really hard on parents as well because it's a it's a huge milestone mm. and mm. it's a big change in things like the gear really shifts at that stage. So what are you doing to prepare yourself for this? I do think that you could point out school there it is. That's what it is. That's where you'll go. Talk excitedly and positively about it, but don't overdo that and make sure you involve her in the selection of the school bag and the pencil case, and the lunchbox and all the nice bits of going back yeah, to school yeah. that she's don't just bring them home and say, here it is, that she's there to make those choices and she's actively part of it. But I would say trust the process for now and trust that it's a little bit sticky and it's a bit overwhelming, but you have time with this. Mm. Plus, also, I imagine if there's other kids from her crash that she knows going to this school. Then well, if she days. is, that's great. Uh, yeah. You know, and also, you know, schools are pros at this. You know, come September, they yeah. do it every year. They are well used to getting the small ones in and settled. So if you've got any anxiety now, I think it can. Well, we're in February, but come May time, I think it can be useful to the primary school to give them a heads up that your child is a little hesitant or reluctant mm, yeah. about it. And then they can be very mindful of that when she comes. Yeah, and blubbing on the day will not help for sure. <laughs> uh, that's the parent I mean. Uh, my three and a half year old is showing some subtle signs of OCD. I'm familiar with these as my brother has OCD. Just little things like repeating the exact same thing at a certain part of our favourite storybook. Lining up her toys and organising things. Nothing problematic per se, as she is generally very happy and confident. I suppose our concern is that she may progress further as she gets older. And if anxiety were ever to crop up for her, I know this can exasperate the symptoms. Is there anything we should do to address this now to try and prevent it becoming something more? Now, from the outset, I would say because you are concerned about OCD traits, I'm suggesting immediately that you connect with your public health nurse and seek a referral to the early years team team in your area because you have a three-year-old, three-and-a-half-year-old and that team take referrals for under five-year-olds and you'll get a multidisciplinary approach and they can always keep an eye. Once you're in that system, they can keep mm, an eye on yeah. things. Now, I would also say, though, Sean, that the average age I mean, a small percentage of children might develop some obsessional compulsive traits or behaviours. Um, but the average age for that would be typically older than we're talking about yeah. here. Like it could be 10-ish. Um, younger children certainly can show these traits. But three is a very young, very rare age to yes. show this at. Okay. And I'm not saying that in a way that, listen, it's not happening. What yeah. you're seeing isn't happening. I'm just saying it's it can happen, but is extremely rare. And the reason for that is toddlers have some of these traits in general, anyway, yes. developmentally. Uh, yeah, they yeah. like to sort out and arrange objects by colour, by theme, by size. They like to do that. It It is actually a part of their play because it also allows them to gain some kind of mastery and control in what is actually a small world that they have mm. because so much is out of their control at that age and they're too small for and the world is very big. So they t do tend to play with themes of control. Um, however, if they are doing it that way, it should feel like a positive part of their play, like they be delighted with themselves at the order they've created. Oh, look, yeah. give me a round of applause. Look what I've done here. They're all the blues are together and all the greens or whatever it might be. Um, so sh she should be proud, not distressed. Uh, really what we look at, I mean, look, toddlers are also unpredictable, aren't they? Anyone who's ever tried to make a sandwich and one day it's squares and the next day I can't eat it because yeah. it's squares. I meant to have triangles <laughs> and crusts on, crusts off. And it's a tightrope sometimes about, you know, that kind of fixation that they can develop about how things must be. But with OCD, it wouldn't be 
those type of traits, we'd be looking at much more overt rigidity, a much more kind of rigid focus on the rules, the routines and becoming highly distressed if a single step is missed along the way. Yeah. You know, and not your classic toddler tantrum reaction to a sandwich being the wrong shape where you can actually redirect and distract them. This would be something that is percolating much more. But all of that said, because I just, if anyone's listening, oh gosh, my three-year-old does that too. Many three-year-olds will show behaviours like this. It is extremely rare, but because this does run in your family and you are concerned, I really would like you to go to your public health okay, nurse. So it can run in families then? See, yeah, these traits yeah. can, absolutely. Mm. And I think, you know, it can also, when it's in a family, leave us hypersensitive to, it, to the course, signs yeah. of it. And that doesn't mean it's not there. Mm. Sometimes being hypersensitive is a good thing because you pick it up really quick. Yeah. But I would, because you're worried, let's get that worry answered. Yeah. How can I explain to my seven-year-old that our cat needs to be put down? It's going to happen soon. I'm finding the words hard to say to my son. Can you give me some advice, please? Oh, I'm so sorry. This is awful, isn't it? You know, it's such a loss for everyone. I think the loss of a pet is a really big loss for family. I think Goodnight Mog, the final book in Judith Kerr's Mog series of books, they're lovely books in general. Mm. Spoiler alert, Goodnight Mog is appropriate to this this situation. (laughs) But it's actually done beautifully, very sensitively, very directly. And it's a really nice narrative around that. And I think it's very helpful. I actually think it's very helpful as a book for any kind of loss, but it's Mm. particularly pertinent here. What you need to do, and I'm hearing in this that you're finding it hard to find the words to say it. Because finding a difficult thing difficult to say is congruent. Maybe practice it with somebody else in your life. Even if there isn't anyone, record yourself saying it into the phone play it back and go, nope, go again, go again until you get it. You want to be, don't use any kind of ambiguous language, even putting to sleep, put down. That's quite vague Mm. for children. I would really say, sit him down, say clearly, I have really sad news. Our cat's life is ending. Yeah. Okay. And she's not able to recover from whatever the cause of this is. And the kindest thing to do is make sure she's not in pain. We're going to say goodbye and our vet will take care of the very end of our cat's life. And then we're going to have a memory ceremony or whatever mm. it might be. And Britta Teckentrup does a lovely book about animals and loss as well called The Memory Tree which is another really nice way to look at this between Goodnight Mog and the memory tree, what you can do with this. You're not going to prevent this from being upsetting because it is upsetting. So he will be upset, but you're there to support him through it. Just use very clear, direct language. Sensitive now, Mm. you know, but you can be gentle yet clear. And I think that's what's important here. And just mind yourselves through it. It's not just about children experiencing this loss. I think this affects anyone in the family. Yes, the whole family. Do you need to be specific though because she says the cat needs to be put down which, you know, the child might go, what, you're choosing to do this to the cat? Is that something you fudge over that one a little bit maybe? Mm, I I would be saying it more that, you know, the cat is not able to recover from whatever injury or illness. The kindest thing is to make sure our cat has no pain. Mm. So their life is now ending and the vet will help us with the end of that. Yeah. You know, all of that's true. Yeah. Yeah. And what will they do? Well, reach out to your vet as well. You know, they really have a very sensitive way of approaching this with families and for families. And they might be able to give you some resources around this.
Uh, yeah, hopefully, unless you have a very unnecessary <laughs> Frank, then, uh, then... Then not that person. Then not that person. Yeah. Uh, Joanna, thanks Thank a million you. as ever. Joanna Fortune, there you are, listening to The Moncrief Show on News Talk. Moncrief. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Weekdays at 2pm on News Talk.